Hey, good morning, Forest Park. It's great to see you. Before I jump into part one of a brand new series, I do want to call attention uh, to my family, a few family members I have here today. I have my mom, and I have my Aunt Molly, and my cousin Kim, and my Aunt Carolyn, and my cousin Tanya. They all came in for the Adore Conference. Can you give them a big hand? Yeah. Uh, they do not, uh, you know, obviously come to this area very much, and I don't go home that much, so we don't see each other very much, but it's an honor to have you guys here, so thank you for being with us today. Hey, nearly uh, two decades ago, Lana, my three small children, and I pulled a big yellow rider truck into Elizabeth City to begin leading and pastoring Forest Park Church. We left a much larger church where we were secure and loved to accomplish a mission. We had one overall goal those nearly 20 years ago, and that was to build a church where all people felt welcomed, loved, and inspired to take their next step toward Jesus. It didn't matter what a person had done, where they were spiritually, what mistakes were made, what they believed, if they were divorced, poor, wealthy, black, white, gay, straight, Democrat, Republican, you get the idea. None of those things concerned us. What we wanted was a place where people would experience God's grace and love and be inspired to walk toward Jesus. Say, why? I mean, why would you give up jobs in another city, say goodbye to friends and family, move three hours north with small children, and begin leading this church? One reason. We believe then and now that the local church is the hope of the world. Dr. Tony Evans, I love this quote, he said, if you want a better world composed of better nations inhabited by better states made up of better cities comprised of better neighborhoods illuminated by better churches populated by better families, then you'll have to start by becoming a better person. And I know of no more effective method to train, teach, and inspire people to become better people than a life-giving, Jesus-centered, healthy, vibrant, local church. And that's what we gave our lives to then, and we continue to give our lives to now. Now, you might say, well... Why is a local church the hope of the world, Scott? I mean, there are a lot of wonderful organizations and nonprofits and other agencies helping our world. Why are you focused and committed to the local church? Well, I'm glad you asked. Guess what? I got an answer to that question. Three thoughts. Number one, the church carries truth. Objective truth, not truth based on society or politics or who's in power or the ebb and flow of emotions, but truth that is constant, eternal, and immovable. The church carries such truth, and we are responsible for sharing it with our world. Number two, the church extends God's love. Matthew 5.16 says, That Jesus said in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The church is the embodiment of God's love on this earth. We are responsible for sharing, uh, showing everyone what love is, demonstrating it, reflecting it, and leading people to God toward and through it. And number three, the church fills in the gap. What gap? 
The gap between truth and lies, light and darkness, life and death, hope and despair, joy and depression. The church is the bridge. The church is the breach. And through prayer and counsel and teaching, the church fills in the empty spaces that so many people and even societies fall into. So those are the reasons why I believe the local church is the hope of the world. Now, I want to be as transparent with you, not only today, but over the next few weeks as we move through this series. These last 24 months during the pandemic has caused me to question our effectiveness as a church. I mean, shutting Sundays down for seven months, closing almost all of our groups, canceling global trips and conferences, forced me to reevaluate everything, to sift through my life. I mean, I was made as I sat home and came to an empty building many days and Sundays sitting at home trying to communicate through a camera. I was made to flip everything upside down, look at each individual idea, thought, goal, etc., and then try to put them back into place. And you know what I discovered through those months? I discovered some pieces fit better than ever. Some pieces are loose. And some pieces no longer fit. I evaluated our goals as a church, what I consider success, what is worship, how I define a friend, the effectiveness of preaching, online ministry. I evaluated and reevaluated everything, especially what is the church exactly. I mean, what is this thing we call church? I mean, is it little more than a gathering of people sitting on rows, watching one person Speak, a few people sing. I mean, is that what church is? Is it merely a loosely fitting, somewhat focused group of people who by and large get along and every now and then we talk about Jesus and reference the Bible? Is that what church is? Is that what we call this thing, church? And this is an important question because once you answer this question, once you define what the church is, then other questions about the church and our roles within the church are automatically answered. So, in the most simple, easy-to-remember way to say it, here's what I've come up with in one sentence about what Forest Park is, what we're about. Forest Park is a gathering of misfit people who help one another navigate life and follow Jesus. That's, I know that's not a complete definition. I know there are parts I'm leaving out, but overall, that's who we are. We are a gathering of misfit people. You may not know that, but I'm here to tell you that. I'm here to build your self-esteem today. You are a misfit person. We are a gathering of misfit people who help one another navigate life and follow Jesus. And after months of thinking and meditating and wrestling and reevaluating everything related to church and pastoring, Here's what I want for Forest Park moving forward. This is just kind of a wetting your appetite a little bit. We're going to jump into something a little bit more deep in just a moment. But I just wanted to give this to you. This is what I'm praying about, thinking about, and wanting our staff and volunteers to work and wrestle their way through. First is I want presence more than performance. When I say presence, of course, I'm not talking about gift-wrapped presence, although those are nice, and I will not turn one down. But presence, God's presence, and your presence more than performance. I love performance, folks. 
I love quality, I love amazing sound and lights and excellence, but I have learned no amount of wow changes hearts. And we've had a lot of wows throughout the years. A lot of them. But you know what? We can have the highest level of singers and musicians and first impressions people and kids volunteers and people walk out exactly the same as they walked in. It takes the presence of God's spirit encountering your presence to melt a hatred heart, a heart of pain, a life of bruises and scars, and pour in the love and comfort and healing. It's going to take more than wow moments. It's going to take more than performance. Number two, I want health more than attendance. Your mental, emotional, and spiritual health matter to me more than ever. I want you to experience good friendships and good marriages and good parenting and read scripture and pray and truly worship. I want those things so much more than I want high numbers on Sunday. Of course, a packed room is fun. Of course, energy is in the room. Of course, numbers represent people. But more than all of that, I want to see each individual person healthy that is more important than attendance. And three, authenticity more than hype. Scripture is filled with desperation, pain, confusion, hurt. You read it, it's all over it. People are depressed, people are questioning God, people are misunderstanding uh, the will of God, the plans of God, the call of God, the hand of God. They're rebellious, they're sinning, they're obeying, they're learning, they're growing. It's filled with a bunch of people who are in messy situations. And people walk through our doors week after week, broken and tired and guilty and depressed and hopeless. And we got to meet them where they are and lead them beyond where they are into the land of hope and faith and our songs and our sermons and our attitudes and our values and our goals have got to reflect truth and authenticity and honesty not hype you know what hype is hype is manufactured excitement you ever been in a church where it's just filled with hype person gets up hey you know don't you love God and everybody's going not really come on don't you love God isn't God good and everybody's hurting and broken and <laughs> marriages are falling apart and their back's aching and they just lost their job and they're not real sure if God is good right now and the person up front is just doing everything he can or she can to get everybody else hyped and excited and trying to, you know, trying to get people going. Trying, I just, I'm tired of it. Been there, done that. I did not buy the t-shirt. I'm tired of it. I want to walk into this place. And bring who we really are to a real God. And you know what? This is going to happen when we, the people of Forest Park, are two things. And this, today is one of those messages you're probably going to want to take notes. Because I'm going to give you little lists and little short things. And you're going to want to remember them. But it's going to happen when, when two things occur. Number one, we are aligned. That is moving in the same direction. And if that means, that means all of us together who call Forest Park Church home, all of us being more focused on health than attendance, more focused on authenticity than hype, 
more focused on presence than performance. When we're all moving in the same direction, together moving in the same direction, and not only uh, um, um, aligned, but assigned. Now, normally I don't do that, aligned, assigned. I don't use A's and I don't rhyme things, but I can. (laughs) I can. And it just worked out, so I thought, well, let's use it. Aligned and assigned, moving in the same direction, committed to accomplishing one task. One task. All of us moving in the same direction, all of us receiving the assignment of accomplishing one task. And what is that one task? I want to show you what it is. I want to show you where we need to be aligned and assigned. I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to commit yourself to it. It's Matthew 28, 19, 20. Jesus says, therefore, go and what? Make disciples. Of who? All nations. And what are we to do? We are to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. That's it right there. Our task is to go to people who are not currently following Jesus and teach and train and mentor and help them become disciples, followers of Jesus. That is our task. That is the task that is in front of us. That is the mission that we all need to be aligned to and receive the assignment for fulfilling. That is what it's supposed to be about. Folks, I am, I am not interested. This is, I'm just, I'm just, everything I have inside, I just want to put it out there. I am not interested in making converts. That's why you don't see me ask people to, as much, hardly anymore, to ask people to, you know, bow your head, close your eyes, lift your hand, let me count, and then put a number of how many people converted. Nothing, I'm, not, I'm not downing it if you go to a church that does that or you love it. I'm just saying me. I don't do that nearly as much as I used to do that because I'm not interested in how many people supposedly converted to Christianity. We are commissioned to make disciples, and making disciples is a process happening over a long period of time. And you can't rush becoming a follower of Jesus, and no one becomes a disciple over a weekend. Now, it's part of, part of you may be asking, well, why, why are you teaching a series about the church? I mean, we have so many problems that need addressing. We have homelessness and poverty and violence and sickness and social distancing and unemployment and racism and a lot of other issues. Why are you talking about the church right now? Because I believe with every fiber of my being that every one of those issues and a whole lot of other issues would be solved if we had about 25,000 healthy, vibrant, Jesus-centered, grace-saturated, growing strong local churches dotting our nation. You put in cities local churches filled with people who are focused on loving and serving and caring and giving and preaching good news and taking care of people and, and, and serving. You, you put them all over this nation and you would see a lot of problems go down. So, considering that task that's in front of us, what, what can I tell you about Forest Park. In other words, what, what do you want Scott Church to look like? I, I can't tell you the specifics of every church. I can, I can tell you what we're working toward, what I am working toward, what I want our staff team to work toward, what I want our volunteers to work for. And if you are new today, like this is the first time you've shown up to, to Forest Park, you picked a great
Because this is the framework right here. This is what we're working on. And if you want to be a part of it, then you need to get in and you need to get involved. And you may leave and go, that guy is just like nuts. He's like flipped his lid. That's fine. At least you know what you're walking away from. Right? So moving forward, I want FPC to be more than ever four things. Big things. The other ones I gave you were, are important too, but these are the four main things, kind of a framework I'm working on. One, very simple, but, but I think changing, life-changing. One is people. Give me that next slide. This is not working for me. People over place. Folks, church is about people. Real people. Lost people, found people, hurting people, healed people, faith-filled people, doubting people, broken people, whole people. Church is a gathering of people. Church is not this building. This building is beautiful. This building we, we pay for. This building we clean. This building we use all the time. But this building is not the church. A church is not microphones and lights and stage. This is a place that we come to to get out of the weather. This is a place we come to to stay cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. This is a place we come to so we can use art and music and lights and sound and color and everything else to display and to uh, uh, present the message. But it's not the church. You are the church. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Don't you know that you are God's temple? And God's spirit lives in you? Jesus is within people. You are the temple of God. You are the dwelling place of God. And if ten people gather under a tree, in the middle of nowhere, and they love one another, and they worship, and they learn, and they serve, guess what? It is a church. And if a thousand people gather in a cathedral, and they don't do those things, it is not a church. You see, I, I, I don't have any interest in filling up this place. Let me, let me just let you in on a not a real well-kept well secret, but it, it's not difficult to fill rooms. I've done it. It's not difficult to fill rooms. It's not difficult to fill a room with people. It's difficult to fill people with Jesus. That's hard. I mean, I know it's not my responsibility. I can't do that, but it, that's, that's complicated. So I just don't have any interest in filling this place. Crowded rooms no longer impress me. Sure, they're fun. Sure, like I said earlier, I love the energy. I love all of that. But I have interest in filling you and you filling the city with love and grace and mercy and compassion and hope. People over place. Number two, diversity over conformity. 1 Corinthians 12, we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Certainly, the body isn't one part, but many. Folks, we are not about bending and shaping you 
into a religious mold so you look and think and act like others. It's not our goal. I love diversity. I love different ideas, different passions, different skills, different strengths, different views, different ways of thinking. It doesn't matter to me if you have tattoos or blue hair, a tie or a dress or skin-tight tank tops. It doesn't matter if you vote red or blue or choose not to vote. If you think the universe was created in six literal days or nearly 14 billion years, whether you accept all of Scripture or most of Scripture, believe in miracles or have difficulty with all of it, if you are filled with faith or skepticism, believe marriage should be between one man and one woman forever or believe two people no matter their genders, I am not here to form you into my likeness and into my image, but to do what I can to lead you to Jesus and show you what it looks like to follow him and help you do it, and we will talk about the other issues on the way. That's a good place to say amen. It's hard for us though. Because we want conformity so much. Number three, purpose over popularity. The mission of Jesus, and this is very important you get this, the mission of Jesus remained crystal clear throughout his ministry. Crystal clear. I mean, even when people rejected him for carrying out his purpose, he remained committed. Let me give you an example. One day he was teaching, and Jesus finished a particularly challenging session, and many of the disciples decided they no longer wanted to follow him. They didn't want to follow him anymore. So even in the ministry of Jesus, he had dips in how many people came to hear his sermon. He would gather a large crowd. He would say some things that people didn't want to hear, and 30% of them would leave, 50% of them would leave. He would attract more people. He would say some things they didn't want, 20% would leave, 30% would leave. He would attract more people. It was just a constant ebb and flow. People track with you until you say something they don't like. That's, that's the ministry of Jesus, too. Let me give you this very clear example. John 6 he got finished teaching. It was a very difficult teaching. It was, it was loaded with some very deep things. And here's what happened. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And he looked at those remaining, the 12, and said, you don't want to leave too, do you? And here's what I find interesting about that. Jesus did not chase them. He didn't beg them to stay. He didn't waver his message. He didn't bow to their ignorance, blindness, stubbornness, or religious oppression. He wanted to know who he could count on and ask his disciples, okay, the crowd is getting thin. Do you want to go too? Jesus was ridiculed for being a friend of sinners, eating with tax collectors, elevating women, touching lepers, breaking religious policies, upending common interpretations and applications of Scripture. Now, he never, he, he didn't go around and intentionally offend people. I do think sometimes he kind of rubbed the Pharisees the wrong way intentionally to try to get them to see Scripture the way that they ought to have seen it and try to challenge their pre, presuppositions and some of their, you know, interpretations and applications of the Old Testament. I think he did offend them sometimes to kind of rattle their cage. But Jesus did not go around with the purpose of offending people and running people away. But if people were offended in the process, his purpose was important, more important than their feelings. 
Forest Park. Hear me well. I'm not interested in winning a popularity contest in Elizabeth City. And I'm especially not interested in winning a popularity contest among religious people. I want us to put our purpose in front and walk toward that purpose no matter who's offended or angry or quits or complains. I have no interest in hurting people, no interest in offending people intentionally. But if in the process of carrying out our purpose someone is offended, the purpose always wins. And number four, I only got 35 of these, so just hang tight. No, this is the last one, love over fear. You know, one of our culture statements here at Forest Park is, we'll get to in a few weeks in a little bit more detail, is it's okay to not be okay. Are there some days you're just not okay? There's some days you get up and you go, I just don't know if I'm okay today. I want you to know it's okay that you're not okay. You know what that means practically? It means that we walk toward the mess in people's lives. Not away from it, but toward it. And you can't walk toward people who are in a mess and get involved in people's lives who are in a mess without sometimes looking messy. It's impossible. Those of you who have small children know what I'm talking about. Those of you who have grandchildren know what I'm talking about. You can't pick up a little kid who's got cookie all over his or her face and chocolate over his or her hands. You can't get them from outside when their feet are dirty and their hands are filthy and get involved in their life without getting some of that on you. It happens. I don't want to run from problems. I don't want to run from confusing situations. I don't want to avoid the mess. I want to walk toward it. Luke 15 is probably my, probably, probably one of my favorite chapters of the Gospels. And it, it holds three stories, well-known stories. The first story is about a woman who loses a coin. She's got a whole bunch of coins. We don't know how many, but she loses one. Exactly, we don't, we're not sure how much, it, how, how, much it, um, how much it is valued at. But she loses one. She turns the house upside down to find that coin. Now, the story doesn't tell us, but if she has a husband who comes home and when he left that morning, the house was clean, the dishes were washed, the beds were made, all the cushions were on the couch, and he comes back and everything's upside down, he might be offended. Sometimes looking for what is lost offends people who are not as concerned about what's lost. Then there's the story of the lost sheep. There's 100 sheep. One gets lost. There's 99% of them. 99 out of 100. 99% are fine. They're in the corral. They're in the fence. They're in the little area. They're safe. They're okay. But the shepherd leaves the 99 and goes finds one. That means 1% matters. One out of 100 matters. So the other 99 might be upset. But when you care about what's lost, you're willing, not intentionally, but in the process of fulfilling your mission, you might offend all of those who are found. And then the most famous story of all, 
that Jesus ever told of the prodigal son, the story of the lost son. The father tells us and shows us that the father represents God and you spend whatever you got to spend to show love and grace. You celebrate that which is lost coming home, even if you offend the older brother who never did anything supposedly wrong. Sometimes you, you tick the choir off to help the person on the back row. And by that, I am not implying that if you're in the choir, you're a Christian, and if you're on the back row, you're a sinner. Just a figure of speech. In each story, the woman with the lost coin, the shepherd with the lost sheep, the father with the lost son loved that which is lost so much they were willing to risk it all to find what was lost. We choose love over fear. Hear me very well. I'll make this as crystal clear. I don't know how else to make it more clear than today. If you're addicted to whatever, we're not afraid of you. We'll take you. If you are in the middle of a divorce, we are not afraid of you. We'll take you. If you are in the middle of doubt and you want to throw it all away, we're not afraid of you. We'll take you. If you got a criminal record, we're not afraid of you. We might frisk you, but we're not afraid of you. <laughs> we'll take you. If you feel far from God, we're not afraid of you. We'll take you. Love over fear. Now I'm going to land this, this plane, okay? This is where you... You know, put your seatbelt on and the seat up, upright and put the peanuts away and your Coke away and we're landing, all right? But it might get a little, little turbulence as we come down. I want to say it as clearly as I can as we launch this series. Forest Park Church needs you. I won't back away from it one bit. Now, you, you might look at your life those of you who are watching at home or wherever you are, you, you, might, you might look at your kids, you might look at your schedule, you might look at your 401k, you might look at your nice cars, you might look at your health care, you might look at your retirement account, you might look at all the weekends you now have off because maybe you are not working anymore or I don't know. And you might think, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't really think I have the time or energy to give to the church. I've got a busy schedule or I've got this or whatever. That may be true, but we need you. And we need you possibly more than you think you need us. And we need you more than you might think you need the church. But I'm going to be as honest with you as I possibly can. We need you. We need your abilities and your questions and your time and your money and your passion and your ideas and your solutions and your love. We need your voice. We need your teaching. We need your skills. We need all of it. Because you see, we cannot put people over place without you. And we cannot have diversity without you. And we cannot fulfill our purpose without you. And we cannot love 
over fear without you. Now, let's be honest, okay? Here's where it gets a little bumpy. Church is not always going to be fun. It's just not. It's, it's, it's not always going to be exciting. It's not always going to be rewarding. Just ask some of those who are out here all week long decorating and working and taking off work and spending hours and getting home at 11 and, and midnight and coming back out today to volunteer. Yes, the Adore Conference was rewarding, but they're tired. It, 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 it takes energy and it takes time and it takes money and it takes, you know, all of it. Sometimes it gets ugly. You can't put people in a room without having people stepping on toes, without friction happening because of rubbing up against one another, and that creates heat. That's, that's life. And it's going to be expensive, and it's going to be frustrating at times, and it's going to be messy at times, it's going to be confusing at times, but in the messiness of it all, you will find beauty. And in, the, in, 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 in all the exhaustion, you will find purpose, and you will find fulfillment only got one life folks you know I'm 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 not middle-aged I'm over middle-aged when you're in your 50s everybody says you're middle-aged well how many 110 year olds do you know walking around (laughs) I'm a little over middle-aged I only got one life and when it's gone it's gone And as a pastor, I, I, I've sat with many people during their last days on earth. I've stood in front of a lot of families and preached a funeral. And when someone's passing from this life to the next, you hear a lot of things. You hear a lot of things from the kids and the parents and the family, and especially from the person who's dying. You hear prayers, you hear cries, you hear regrets, you hear memories, you hear requests. But you know what I've never heard? I've never heard anybody in the hospital or in the living room or bedroom passing from this life to the next say, would, would you bring all my trophies over here? I just want to see them one more time. Never hear I've never heard anybody say, hey, can you get all my fishing poles and move them over just a little bit because I can't see them from where I'm laying. Never hear it. I've never heard someone say, please bring me my computer. I just want to check the cryptocurrency once more before I die. You know, I wish I could have lost those last 10 pounds. I just wanted to get in that dress one more time. Never hear it. I never hear anybody say, I sure hope our team pulls it out this year. You know what I have heard? Where's my family? I want to see my friends once again. Would you hold my hand? I sure wish I would have. I sure wish I could have. It's always about family, and it's always about friends, and it's always about taking more risks and stepping further out. It's always about those things. 
but we give so much time and so much money and so much energy to stuff that in the end doesn't even matter. So why? Why don't we give ourselves to better relationships now? Why, why don't we give ourselves to building better people now? So why don't we do what we can to fulfill the purpose now? Because in the end, that's what's going to matter. You see, knowing why we do what we do changes everything. We need you. And if you're on board with that, get involved. Let's pray. Father, the mission that you've given to us is so very clear, but we've clouded it. We think somehow it's about performance and hype. We somehow think it's about a room filled with people. We think it's about impressing, it's about winning awards, being the number one church or whatever. God help us. It's about people. It's about being real and loving and embracing the hurting and the broken. It's about making disciples and teaching people what it means to follow Jesus and learning what it means to follow Jesus ourselves. God, help us as a church to realign ourselves with what matters and receive the assignment to do what it is you've called us to do. We got one life, one. May we invest it wisely and watch you do amazing things in us and through us. That's our identity. May we keep that in focus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good day.